For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Five, it's your Mac and Mac guys, John McMullen, Jody McDonald. Today is our last show of the week. We're going to take an extended Memorial Day weekend, honor our fallen. Uh, Mac and Mac will be out on Birds 365 both tomorrow and Monday. We will not return with you here till next Tuesday. A whole bunch of stuff isn't breaking in the NFL these days anyway. But by the time we get back, we will have accrued all these things that we need to talk about. That will be on Tuesday. But while we're here, we got two hours to chat you up on Birds 365. Mr. McMullen, what do you got cooking for these next couple days with a long weekend? Long weekend here from Birds 365, but I'm sure you got something to do with one of your other 27 jobs. Yeah, well, same as you, but uh, I'm always working. But, you know, we're probably going to see a Julio Jones trade in, in the next couple of days. We're probably going to see a Deshaun Watson trade. That's how things work. Uh, when you aren't around, stuff tends to happen. But we are around. If people want to check us out and check out all the videos on demand, just subscribe to the Jacob Media YouTube page. So when we say... When we say Birds 365, we might not have a show scheduled because of the holiday weekend, but you can always watch interviews, get all the information you would ever need. Well, I will tell you why there will be no Julio Jones trade. There will be no well, Julio I would tell you, yeah, trade. There will be no Zach Ertz trade. Because it's not June 1st. I was just being facetious. We're Jody. back here by Tuesday, which is June 1st. So yeah. nothing's going to happen on any of those fronts until after June 1st. It's kind of dictated by the uh, cap rules in the National Football League. So I don't think we need to sweat that at all. I get your drift of just when you think you've got some downtime, yes. someone jumps up and does something that drags you right back into your work world. Yeah, not happening this weekend. It, no, it, it, it's it, not. I was being a little facetious, just trying to set up a plug, but... You know, I get it. You want to explain everything to the fan base, and you're probably right because I get in trouble when I don't explain every little thing. And I assume you should never assume, should never stipulate that people understand what right. you're talking about. Uh, we'll break it down for you rather directly. The Eagles announced today that they are going to have, or yesterday, excuse me, two open to the public practices come August. Uh, we all know that several years ago, the Eagles made the decision to not take their training camp on the road. I drove up the Northeast Extension many a time to attend an Eagle practice at Lehigh University. And I always thought it was cool. I always enjoyed it whenever we did shows from up there, um, just to be out in the public with the Eagle fans, get a couple Eagle players on as guests. I thought it was great. I truly enjoyed it. Uh, and I know that there are a lot of Eagle fans that miss it. A couple of years ago, and I was critical of the Eagles at the time, but the way the league is trending, uh, if you're going to be mad at the Eagles, you got to be mad at a whole bunch of teams. Uh, the majority of teams now keep their preseason in-house, that they use their own facilities. They believe they've got better workout facilities, easier access to all their doctors, 
the convenience of the players to be able to go home after a practice rather than have to go to a dorm. That's the direction that the league has gone in. The Eagles were just, I don't want to say they were cutting edge of one of the first, but they were in the early batch of those who decided it. So if you're going to get a chance to see the Eagles at practice, you used to be able to attend at Lehigh, used to be able to watch them go through their drills. That is no longer the case. They have two open practices for the fans in August. And then it is actually pretty cool that they can pretty much fill up Lincoln Financial Field for those two practices um, the last couple of years. Uh, I have not gone down and I have not attended because it's just not the same as going to Lehigh. It's a little too organized, a little too formal for me. Have you gone down the last couple of years when Eagles have had these quote-unquote open practices well i wasn't down last year nobody had open practices but uh obviously for covid but um yeah i mean i've been to every one of them since they started since they moved into lincoln financial field it you know it is what it is you're right it's a new environment i do think when you bring up the old days of training camp and i've been to a lot of them in a lot of different cities and you had two a days and it was this big event for the fans and there was stuff going on all day Remember, things have changed from that standpoint as well. You have a uh, very limited time with the players. There's no more two-a-days. There's no more hitting, really. There's teams in this league that don't have live periods, entire training camps. Chip Kelly started that uh, here. Doug Peterson had two, maybe three live periods at training camp. That's it. You think about Andy Reid training camps, man, he was beating people up, so – you know, a lot of the guys say, you know, work smarter, not harder. So I, I do think there is some positives to the current way they do things. But, you know, as far as training camp, the good old days, the days you're talking about, I don't think there's enough stuff for the fans to keep them busy for the entire day. So I, I think in some ways it almost had to come full circle. And, you know, they go to the length twice. They're going to do it, I think, August 8th and August 22nd. So a couple of Sunday nights. Um, and, you know, they charge 10 bucks, which people don't like, but it's for their autism uh, charity. So it is for charity. Um, and you're sitting in the stands in the live NFL stadium. The good part is, you know, if you do want to bring your family down, it's really expensive to go to an Eagles game, right? but it opens up some things for maybe people that can't afford that kind of cost and disposable income, and they get a chance to see their favorite team. So I don't have a problem with it, but I do understand why people yearn for the old days. But Jody, the old days are gone, man. It's like, we're wrestling fans. I love the territory days. I love different, uh, you know, different beatdoms, different territories. Old, hey, cable came in, it was out the door. I mean, you, you either move forward or you get left behind, is what they said. Right. And there is no going back. We're not going to see the return of the days of two a days in NFL training camps. Just never going to happen uh, going forward from here. I got zero problem with the Eagles charging 10 bucks for their uh, quote unquote open practices in today's society. 10 bucks is a <clears> drop <throat> in the bucket. And I know, and I apologize to anyone who takes offense to that, um, but uh, we're talking about percentages and the majority of the people. Uh, everybody should be able to afford 10 bucks for however many tickets you want or need. It does, it's going to count out some people probably more over principle 
than the actual having to go into the wallet for 10 bucks that, hey, I used to get this for free and it used to be more included, used to do more, used to be able to see more. We're going to watch them do a couple of drills and they're going to hit me 10 bucks. They're not getting a penny of mine. Yeah, there'll be yeah. some people like that. And I don't think the Eagles worry about that at all. Uh, probably not people who are shelling out the 150, 175, 200 bucks, depending on where you're sitting in the stadium for regular season games. So they don't believe it's going to hurt their bottom line at all. And if you don't want to go, you don't want to go. The money is going to charity. If it went into Jeff Lurie's pocket, then I would have an issue with it. It doesn't. And I trust the Eagles on this front that they're going to turn all that money over to uh, the Eagles autism charity. So it's a good thing. You should look at it as a good thing. If you are so motivated to go down and see something like this, I got zero problem. And I know they got uh, VIP tickets that if you want to be more involved, be able to get down on the field, walk on Lincoln Financial Surface. You can pay a little bit more, 25 bucks for VIP tickets. Zero problem with it. Good for the Eagles. They are a charitable organization. They are out in front on a lot of good community work. And if they can tie a practice into it while giving their fans a little something that they can get excited about and put a couple of bucks in a good charity's pocket, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, we were talking about jerseys earlier this week. You looked it up, 150. I mean, that's 15 <laughs> That's, you know, you can get 15 open practices for one stinking jersey. I see all the jerseys down there. So somebody's spending some money on this team. You might as well give a couple bucks to charity. But, yeah, I get it. I mean, uh, you are trying to be as inclusive as, as possible, and you are charging, and it, it's something that used to be free. So there can be a principal action. I got news for you, Jody, but when they have practices at the Novocamp, care complex there are fans there it it's a pain in the you know what for us but it's you know it's the season the really high season ticket holders the sponsors uh people like that who get in if i were a fan if i were just a normal fan i'd have a bigger problem with that because you know if you if you're a sponsor of the eagles come on down for an open practice at, at the NovaCare complex that i might might rub me the wrong way but again, the way of the world. It's not just the Eagles. Yeah. And oh, by the way, there's a couple zeros in the money that they spend. Oh, yeah. So that is going to afford you a little bit more access than John Q. Public. That's, as I, as you said, just the way of the world. That, that That's how the world is spinning these days. So I'm not going to get uh, all that uh, bent out of shape about it. Uh, the voluntary practices continued this week. Uh, you got a day on the grass with the team and got a chance to talk to uh, a couple of the players via Zoom. One guy who's feeling his oats a little bit is Jalen Rager. And we discussed it a little yesterday on the Birds 365 show when he talked about uh, playing in the slot this year, then did a pretty good step back and said, well, I'm going to play all the positions. All the wide receivers are going to play all the positions. <laughs> we'll see how the new coach is going to deploy his wide receivers but he talked it up pretty big how the combo of he and uh, Devontae Smith could be outstanding this upcoming year. Um, he's an interesting guy, Jalen Rager. First round pick. We know he had to listen all year to the comparison between Ian Jefferson because they went back to back in the draft. Some, like yours truly, preferred Jefferson. Uh, then the whole confab about who actually made the pick. Was the pick made because the coaches in the scheme that they wanted to run. And, oh, by the way, now that scheme is stone-cold out the door since Doug Peterson is no longer there. 
certain individuals made it sound like it was more of a coaching pick than an organizational pick. I don't know how much I buy that. It was a bad pick is what it was. And Jalen didn't like to have to hear about that and uh, from time to time would uh, bite back on social media. He didn't have a great year. Certainly, I believe in his upside. He's can and should be better than he was last year. Is he up in the volume just a little bit too much after that kind of year? Don't you have to go out and prove it rather than talk it before a second season gets underway? Um, sure, you do, but uh, that's always been Jalen. He would he would talk like that last year. He's always he's got tremendous confidence in his ability. I think Jalen's problem is he shows too much frustration. And he admitted with social media, and he kind of gets into it with fans at some points. He's deleted his social media. He comes back to social media. And, you know, people are pretty harsh with the Jefferson stuff. And, uh, you know, there's the obvious comparisons. I, you know, it's interesting. Besides Jalen Hurts, which is, I think, obvious, I don't think there's a player – Devontae Smith helps more on this team than Jalen Rager uh, because he's not a wide receiver one. And when you get drafted, we always talk about pedigree. When you get drafted in the first round, and especially when Justin Jefferson gets drafted to pick behind you and turns into a number one wide receiver. Oh, by the way, even though he isn't, Adam Thielen's the best receiver in Minnesota. But the second part is perceptions greater than reality. He's expected to be a number one wide receiver. He's Kadarius Tony in New York. If the Giants – now, I don't think the Giants expect that, but that's what Jalen Rager is. He's a manufactured touch player. That's what he is. He's not a well-rounded receiver. He's not a great route runner. But guess what? Devontae Smith is. So if Devontae Smith turns into a, a, a true number one wide receiver, all of a sudden – the dominoes start to fall. Jalen Rager could fit into that second slot where there's not as much pressure, there's not as much double coverage, all that kind of stuff. And I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine as a compliment. Now, if Devontae gets injured one week and he's got to bump up to that number one spot again, I think he's going to be a disappointment. So I think Devontae Smith really, really helps Jalen Rager, and he's got to fit in nicely as the so-called WR2 of this team. But he's not a number one. And I don't think he was ever a number one. I don't think the Eagles thought he was a number one. They wanted a certain type of player, as you mentioned. And they thought Rager could be that type of player. But, boy, those expectations are difficult. And that's where I go again back to the Giants with Tony and Ojolari in the second round. If Tony's the second-round pick, I think people are fine. I think people are happy. But when you have those expectations on you, it makes things really, really difficult. And part of it wasn't Jalen Rager's fault. He did not have a very good year, and uh, I don't always agree with the way that he handles critique and criticism, but uh, he was a number-one draft pick, and he should have known what the expectations were. But you're right. I don't know that the Eagles thought that, and their in-house belief is more important than John Q. Public's belief. The Eagles kind of believed they were still going to get one wide receiver play from either uh, Jeffries and or uh, Deshaun. And neither one of those two things happened. And You, you, uh, you see what I'm putting there? Crossing your fingers. 
Hope is not a strategy, Howie. Hope is not a strategy. And that's what they did last year. They hope, well, if Deshaun's healthy, if we can get, it was really Deshaun because Alshon, remember, they didn't expect him back until later in the season. But they said, if Deshaun is healthy, uh, you can't you can't count on that. And right. But you, you saw know, what you, happened. You heard it. You probably wrote it. Uh, it, it. It was certainly after the draft happened, but during the offseason, the whole Alshon could be ready by the 1st of October narrative was out there. Oh, and, sure. But I, I just mean it was later in the season. I think early on, like week one, they said, okay, we're going to hit the ground. Remember, Jalen got hurt, too. So that 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 hurt. And he got uh, hurt at the practice at Lincoln Financial Field, which they still held, but nobody was allowed in there except us. So he got hurt. That's where he hurt his shoulder. Um, and, you know, that set him back. Uh, and, and Doug Peterson admitted that. And he, he said, you know, and we always talk about young players and the importance of off-season work. Um, obviously, training camp is very important for young players. And Jalen says it himself. You know, he didn't have a history of getting injured in, in college. Right. And he got injured twice in the NFL. That's one of the things he assumes he's going to be healthy. He's confident he's going to be healthy. And that's going to help him as well. And, oh, by the way, if he wants those uh, reps at the uh... – inside the slot position he's going to have to beat out greg ward which is <laughs> far from a given at this time but uh he he should get plenty of time on the outside with the other young eagle wide receivers which they do have a lot of depth i know By the way, i don't i don't know if i told you this yesterday jody but i did i put it on twitter so you might have saw it anyway but when i was there i i did write down the eagles rotation through the passing drills and it was on the on the x side uh it was rager followed by quez watkins uh jamon osbond who's an undrafted free agent uh in and john hightower which is probably not good news for hightower Yikes. uh on the x side it was smith Devonte smith obviously travis fulgham was number two which is good news for him your boy, Greg Ward, was next. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was fourth. Probably not good news for him. Uh, Khalil Tate, the ex-quarterback from Arizona, was five. And then Trevon Grimes, who's an undrafted free agent, was last. So, you know, I I put for what it's worth. It's, it's not much on May 25th, the day of the practice, but that's how they, that's right, how now, they start. Now, wait a minute. Now you've done a tremendous job of confusing me. Which two positions are you breaking down? Are you not including the slot there? You said no, because when they run passing drills, they don't work out of the slot for the most part. They just, you know, there's two quarterbacks uh, on each side, and you run the route tree. Uh, so they're only using sort of the outside the numbers receivers uh, okay. at and that point. Now that, they'll work that, in the slot. The slot guys are Rager. Uh, they worked in the slot. The slot guys are Rager, Ward, uh, Tate. Uh, it, it, and Quez Watkins. Quez would be – so Ward and, and Quez Watkins are sort of battling back and forth uh, behind Jalen Rager. Well, and who was the second receiver on the outside? If Devontae was number one on his side was – Travis Fulgham. Travis Fulgham was – it was it was Devontae and Jalen Rager. 
as the number ones and the number twos were Travis Fulgham and Quez Watkins. Okay. So Rager was number one outside and in the slot? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yes, the coaching staff is buying into the confidence that Jalen Rager is talking up so far that he and Devontae Smith, as a combo, are going to do great things for the Eagles this year at the wide receiver position. We shall see. It is Verge 365, the Mac and Mac guy, John McMullen and Jody McDonald. We've got two guests coming your way. Uh, one is a standby here in town. Uh, you read them on a daily basis if you're any kind of an Eagle fan because you got to check out what Bleeding Green Nation has. Brandon Lee Gowton, editor-in-chief of Bleeding Green Nation, scheduled to hop aboard with us. And a little later in the show, we're going to head down south. Roll Tide, uh, one of John's compatriots, uh, Chris Walsh from Sports Illustrated, whose job it is to cover Alabama on a day-in, day-out basis, is going to hop on board with us because a couple of guys with deep Alabama ties are going to be pretty damn important to the 2021 Eagles football season. Their quarterback hails from Alabama, although he took it elsewhere before he went into the National Football League. Jalen Hurts, of course, uh, former Crimson Tide player, the uh, first-round pick of the Eagles this year, Devonta Smith, just won a Heisman Trophy in Alabama red and Landon Dickers in the big offensive lineman who may or may not start the year uh, on the injured list, uh, but was a stud in Tuscaloosa before getting injured late in the year. We'll talk all about all three of these guys and maybe mix a little Julio Jones as well with uh, Chris Walsh when he joins us coming up a little later in the show, but hopefully joining us here next from bleeding green nation, Brendan Lee Gowton going to hop aboard with the Mac and Mac guys here on birds. 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. 
Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. that guys here on bird 365 the final show of not only the week because we're off tomorrow but the month because we're going to be off monday which is memorial day as well uh taking a long weekend to uh give uh nod our heads and acknowledge the losses that we've suffered as a country before uh with our great soldiers who are out there protecting our land so uh we'll take a lengthy memorial day weekend and enjoy it, but we'll come back with a vengeance on Tuesday when we get that much closer to the start of a season. Uh, talking about the Eagles offseason, and before you know it, camp getting here and a season underway. Uh, we're joined by one of our favorite guests. He does a phenomenal job covering the birds day in and day out for his website, Bleeding Green Nation, their editor-in-chief and chief cook and bottle washer as well. Brandon Lee Gowton joins us here on Birds 365. BLG, how you be? Doing good, Jody. Doing good, John. Nice to see you guys. Good to see you, BLG. Now, every time I say that, are you a wrestling guy? Jody and I are wrestling guys. Like, one day I want you to say BLG and do it like Rob Van Dam. So I want you to do that at practice. And you're a viral video star. So that's where (laughs) I want to start as well. Because John Clark uh, caught you with your new best friend, Nick Sirianni. (laughs) I was at the end of that line right next to Clark. What the heck was he saying to you? Yeah, so uh, Nick Sirianni comes up to me on Tuesday, and I think he originally was like, hey, I don't think I got your name last time. You know, he introduced uh, himself to all of us yeah. at Rookie Minicamp, but uh, I don't think I said my name because the mask was on, the music was playing. I felt, and he was going by quickly. I felt weird saying it. Like, I, don't, I don't think he was going to yeah, remember. Yeah. So, so this time, you know, I thought the opportunity was there. And I felt bad last time because, you know, he was doing the fist pounds, and I feel like I missed an opportunity to throw out paper and beat him and show him how competitive I am. So I did it this time, and he was super confused. I think he might have been, like, terrified of what I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to explain it to him. He's like, oh, okay, he got it. (laughs) Yeah, that might have been the first rock, paper, scissors match he won by disqualification. That's the thing. He's competitive, (laughs) but evidently never wins these damn things. Uh, He beat BLG. BLG. That's uh, something he'll be able to tell his grandkids about someday. He'll be bragging about it 40 years from now. Uh, Rock, paper, scissors aside and your uh, personal interaction with the coach, I know it's just a couple of minutes you guys get to uh, spend at practice, but do you like the way he's running the ship? First impressions are important. 
the players seem to uh, hop on board and say the right things about uh, the fact that this is going to be a different and maybe an improved way of doing things with the new coaching staff. What's been your read on the new Eagle coaching staff starting at the top of Nick Seriani? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk from the players, you know, about energy. And I think we've seen that in the, the limited portions of practice that we've been able to see. I also think I've noticed Nick Sirianni, you know, really coach players in terms of going up to them and individually and kind of instructing them, hey, here's what you kind of need to do better. Here's what you can do differently on this certain play. So really kind of a hands-on approach. I've noticed that. I've noticed him spend a lot of time with the receiver position, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise given his background coaching that position. And he's going to be working with the offense, of course. So uh, those are the kind of the biggest things I've watched. I know teaching, I think, is a big emphasis from this new coaching staff. I think that's kind of where the organization feels like things may have gone astray a little bit with Doug Peterson's staff in terms of player development. So I think that's the big emphasis here. One of those players we were just talking about before you came on, Brandon, is Jalen Rager. I, you know, we, we know the injuries he had in his rookie season, started in training camp, and I think that set him back a little bit. And, and then um, I do think there was an issue of what is this guy? And And one of the things I brought up with Jody is when you're picked in the first round, people expect a, a number one wide receiver. I don't think he's that guy. And I, but I think Devontae Smith could really help him maybe more than anybody else on this team, other than the obvious Jalen Hurts. As a compliment, I think he can really do some nice things. And he talked about playing in the slot before backtracking a little bit when we talked mm-hmm. to him. Do you see that utilization? Sort of the guy who starts in, and if they're 12 personnel, he starts outside and then moves into the slot. It's funny. I mean, everyone's brought it up already, but you know, you take Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, and then you put Jalen Rager in the slot. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think he's going to be there full time. I think yeah. that's something they'll mix in a little bit more, and it's something he did last year. I think he was yeah. in like the twenty percent range of playing in the slot. Yeah, so it's not like he's never. Yeah, it's it's not like he's never done it before. But um, yeah. I mean, I, I was looking at some Jalen numbers or Jalen Rager numbers yesterday, and they're not encouraging. I mean, three hundred ninety-six yeah. receiving yards. They rank 26 out of 37 first-round picks uh, wide receivers in the past 10 drafts, you know, not including this year. And the 11 players with fewer, there's a lot of busts on that list. So it's really not the best company to be in. Now you can say, you know, there were things last year that uh, the injuries, bad quarterback play, and you account for all that for sure. And, and I'm not saying Jalen Rager can't get better, but I'm saying it can't just be assumed that he's definitely going to get better just because he's a first-round pick. And also – uh, from Matt Harmon, I saw that he had Jalen Rager at just a 40.8% success rate versus man coverage last year, and that is the second worst rate yeah, he's ever yeah. charted. So uh, there's some the, really concerning numbers here. That is man, not a positive. <laughs> that, that is scary. And here's where I don't – uh, uh, John and I have a running joke here, Brandon. I don't know if you're privy to it, but I'm a big Greg, Greg Ward fan and think that he needs to be beat out for the job that he's doing in the slot. I know his average yards per catch stinks, but I will attribute that more to the system and the quarterbacks than put it on Greg Ward's plate. And we'll see what he does this year. I think he's going to be improved. Um, but if Jalen Reg is going to be the guy who's going to displace him in the slot, wasn't the whole idea of drafting Jalen Rager because of his speed? And isn't it much easier to use your speed effectively on the outside than it is on the inside? 
wasn't the hopeful upside, best of all cases, the fact that he was going to be Tyree Kill-like here in Philadelphia yeah. and do what Hill does for the Kansas City Chiefs, just outrun people. Well, you don't do that out of the slot. If he is going to achieve what they originally thought the upside potential was, he's got to be outside rather than inside, does he not? Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, Jody. I think okay. one of the things we saw from a positive standpoint in Jalen Rager last year is he really good on slant rounds. So maybe you put him in there, and maybe he has some success with that. He's strong. He's not the biggest guy. Another thing is I think it's a change of pace thing. Again, it's not like Jalen Rager, full-time slot receiver. I think if you're looking for a vertical element in the slot, then you put him there. And that's what Greg Ward will never give you. Like for as much as, you know, he's just, he's not going to ever take the top off. He just doesn't have that kind of ability. So again, change of pace guy uh, in the slot there, rotational guy. I think John touched on it earlier where Jalen Rager is really never going to be a volume receiver for this offense and that's fine he doesn't have to be if they have another one and presumably hopefully for the eagles sake Jill, uh, Devontae smith will be that guy and that does take the pressure off of rager but uh still he's going to need to to show up when his number is called and he has a lot to prove speaking about stretching the field brandon i was watching the receivers the other day and i thought it was interesting the one guy because it was smith and rager started out as the ones and that was fulgham which isn't surprising outside but the other one was Quez Watkins. He, he was running number two behind Jalen Rager uh, on what would be the Z side. Um, so this, this you know, coaching staff seems to at least, it doesn't mean much on, on May 25th, but they've defaulted there to start. We all saw left tackle. They defaulted to Jordan Mailata. That's interesting. Uh, they default. You got to start somewhere. And it seems to me they're starting – like Quez Watkins is ahead of John Hightower and JJ and everybody else on the outside. Um, do you think he could develop into that kind of, I mean, look, fourth receiver compliment to make this team a little bit better? Yeah, I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, we saw Watkins, you know, uh, move ahead of Hightower during the season last year, which is yeah. a little interesting because Hightower was playing a lot early on and it seemed like he kind of got in the doghouse basically. And then they really gave Watkins a chance at the end of the year. And I think there's something to that. I mean, look, John Hightower, I think, is going to be 25 this season. And he's only in the second season, you know, yeah, on the yeah. older side for second-year player. Whereas Qued Watkins, I believe he was, like, the youngest or one of the couple youngest players on the roster last year. So I think Quez, with him, like, it was always kind of more of a he needs some time to develop here, and he might have the higher upside. Um, so I think it's kind of just a matter of getting him in here and seeing what he can do this offseason, giving him that opportunity to actually do that. I noticed in addition um, to what you're saying there, John, you know, it was him, meaning Quest Watkins, it was Jalen Rager, and it was Devontae Smith who were working with the running backs for a little bit yeah. early on in practice. Um, just, you know, reverses, sweeps, that kind of stuff. So it seems like there's definitely kind of like a plan to get him touches, even if it's not just a receiver. John alluded to it, so I'll go there full time uh, since we're analyzing the order of the reps the guys got in practice. At the left tackle, Jordan Mailata first. Andre Dillard second. It is a first-round pick rather than a seventh-round pick. But to these coaches, new coaching staff, that shouldn't really mean anything because they're getting their first look at these guys. Of course, they looked at film during the offseason, but their first live eyeball look at these guys. I hope it's a competition. The coaches continue to beat down on that, that it's all about competition. That's one of his tenets that he runs his football life by. 
who's going to win that competition at left tackle as per Brandon Jones? <laughs> I think it's going to be Jordan Mailata. Um, I, I think the organization, you know, like going into last year, going into last season. I mean, there was, I think people forget there was a plan to sign Jason Peters before Brandon Brooks got hurt. Like that was out there before the Brandon Brooks injury. So yeah. like, I don't know. It was a hundred percent that Andre Dillard was starting last year. Um, and, and he wasn't going to get replaced by Jason Peters at some point. So I think, you know, there's this concern about Andre Dillard here. I think people kind of romanticize his rookie season a little bit in terms of his starts at left tackle, and they kind of just eat too easily forgive the struggles at right tackle. I think he also struggled at left tackle. I also think the mentality he showed in terms of like kind of just being already defeated before he ever even took the field at right tackle is a concern. Mm. And I, I just wonder – uh, what this team really feels about Andre Dillard. I, I don't think they're high in him. I think Mylotta will get that job. He's younger, too, as I kind of talked about age earlier before with Hightower and Watkins. You know, Mylotta's a couple years younger than Dillard. I think he's a higher upside. I think he's a better player. There's, I think there's a higher ceiling there. And with Andre Dillard, I just I kind of wonder what his value is to this team if he's not starting. Because like I just said, you're not counting on him to be the swing tackle because you're pretty confident he can't play right tackle. And, you know, with the Eagles bringing in LaRaven Clark recently, I don't necessarily think that means he's guaranteed to make the roster. But it kind of makes me wonder, you know, if they're kind of preparing for life without Andre Dillard and kind of moving him at some point. Because I just I don't know what value he has as his backup. That was my question to you, Brandon, when you went down that route. I mean, you can't have a backup that just plays left tackle. I mean, that's not how it works in the NFL. You have to be a swing tackle. You have to have some position versatility. You know, if he can't play right tackle, he's probably not going to move inside the guard. So how do you build up that value? My, I mean, there's one thing. There's a lot of teams in this league that need offensive line help. I mean, everybody's looking for offensive line help, and he still has that first-round tag on him. So you could probably talk somebody into maybe giving you a cornerback uh, for Andre Dillard. Is, is that how he's planned to get another body at that position? Well, that would be nice. They need one, right? They need one of those. Yeah. They, don't, they don't have much of that position. Um, yeah, I, I can't imagine Andre Dillard has much value. Maybe you would have to really like trade him and a pick for something to get a worthwhile cornerback. Um, otherwise, I think you know you're looking at day three pick or day three pick equivalent of a cornerback or whoever you, you would get for him. I just I can't imagine his value is very high. I think teams are aware that the Eagles don't feel amazing about him. I mean, if you're seeing Jordan Mailata get reps ahead of him, that tells you more too. But like you said, I mean, there's always going to be a demand for offensive linemen. So I imagine he has more than zero value, but I just can't imagine it's too high. And I imagine, or I wonder if the Eagles might just have to kind of take the loss on that at some point and feel like, hey, let's get pennies on the dollar instead of getting nothing at all and having to maybe cut him eventually. Real quick follow-up on that. Sorry, Jody. Um, Can you rehab a player during the preseason? In other words, give them, just give him a ton of preseason snaps and say, look, the guy's playing pretty well. You need a left tackle. Why not roll the dice? I mean, maybe a little bit. You know, maybe it helps his value a little. I just can't imagine um, Andre Dillard going up against, you know, second stringers is going to suddenly convince people that he's everything is good and he's fixed. Maybe it's one thing if he's starting in the preseason, but then – starting in the preseason he's probably starting for your team and I, just, I don't think that's the case here's why i'm doubting this i think andre dillard's going to be here and my lot of could kill it throughout all of the preseason and actually win the job as per competition the eagles did eat some crow and quote unquote take a loss when they uh, did what they did with their quarterback this offseason 
I don't think they really wanted to do it. I think they realized that they had to do it and they got the best deal that they could. But that was because Carson Wentz forced his way out of town, that it mm-hmm. became public knowledge that Carson Wentz didn't want to be here anymore. And the Eagles could go, hey, what can we tell you? Carson decided to quit on us. I don't think Andre Dillon's going to do that. So if they move Andre Dillon for a day three pick just two years after trading up in the first round to get him, you're going to have to get an awfully big spatula to get all that egg off your face, Howie mm-hmm. Roseman. I don't know that he's going to be willing to do that. I think they'd rather say, hey, the worst case in that, we keep him here. My lot gets hurt week one. We've still got him to plug in, be ready to go, rather than we trade him and now we put a lesser guy in at the left tackle position. I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to be here. Even if he is either uh, not given the job and the coaching staff decides to go with my ladder, or if he's beaten out for the job that my ladder actually earns it and dominates in the preseason, I think Andre Dillon's going to be the backup left tackle. It's possible from the standpoint of they are want to keep a bunch of offensive linemen. Like they, that's not something they're, you know, a deal breaker for them in terms of keeping, let's say 10, a lot of bodies. I remember Chance Wormack a couple of years ago was on the roster yeah. and he could only really play like one well, guard, but really probably only like uh, ideally you maybe want them just at right guard. So it's not impossible that they just keep him around and they're not willing to kind of bite the bullet on that. But I'm saying in terms of what could be the best move, because his value could only go down, you know, if he's just sitting on the bench, then he doesn't play at all. And then, you know, I, I don't know how his value is going up. So, uh, so maybe. Yeah, good point, Brandon. I don't think Chance could play any position, I would argue. But <laughs> Oh, shot on Chance Warback. No, by the way, full disclosure. Called for. Coming out of the draft, another <laughs> Alabama guy, by the way. We're we're going to talk Alabama football an hour, too. But I thought, full disclosure, I thought Chance Warback was going to be great coming out of college. So I screwed that one up mightily. But, yeah, they kept him for some bizarre reason for – a lengthy period of time. I, I I do want to shift to the defensive side of the ball. We kind of alluded to cornerback. When we were there, Brandon, Darius Slay wasn't there. He's back, so everybody doesn't have to panic. But hmm. it was interesting to see, you know, no Darius Slay out there. And the defense is on the far field and, you know, trying to squint. I had my binoculars to see. They're in the gray jerseys. You can't see the numbers. Yeah. Avante Maddox is working with the safeties and the corners. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? But I'm looking at it and saying, boy, Avante Maddox is the best cornerback on this team without Darius Slay. How scary is that? Yeah, it's an issue. I mean, look, this is a roster that had a lot of issues last year and they weren't very good. And there's a lot of work to be done here. I mean, and even Darius Slay, like, didn't have the best year last year. I mean, for especially for you know the expectation and the, and the contract. I mean, they made him at the time that Darius Slate signed his contract extension. He was the highest paid cornerback in the NFL, and you did not get that kind of player last season. So, so it's a big concern, and it's weird because what they haven't done in terms of making moves at that position almost like it's like Avante Maddox feels like the starter, but it's by default, because who else is it? Is it Craig James? Okay. I mean, that doesn't seem very tenable. So uh, it's a big hole. It feels like they have to do something at this position in terms of, like, signing someone. You know, people have obviously brought up Steven Nelson. Um, Gary Conley is still out there. I don't know if the injury thing with him is kind of just even making him uh, not a viable option, but it feels like they have to add someone here at some point. So Josiah, Josiah Scott wasn't it for you? <laughs> 
I mean, I think he can contribute in the slot. I think he's. I think Josiah, Josiah Scott is basically the new strap, Craven LeBlanc, in terms of like a backup nickel cornerback. Except he could run. He does. Yeah, I think he ran a four three nine or something. But it is interesting because I think um, I think they're fine in the slot. Because I think Avante can play in the slot. I think Scott can play in the slot. I, I think Zach McPherson. I think he's a slot corner. Uh, the the problem is the the other outside corner position mm-hmm. opposite Slay, and there, boy, I mean, are they expecting too much out of Jonathan Gannon, and saying, uh-huh. okay, Jonathan, you're a star, you're a rising star in this business, go make something out of this. Yeah, I think I think that's the plan because and it's it's not insane just because when you look at the track record, I think Jonathan Gannon typically has gotten more out of less with his cornerbacks, or maybe it's recency bias. But I look at last year when a lot of people thought Xavier Rhodes was like done and I bad did. after yeah. the Vikings cut him. And even like a guy like TJ Carey, who's kind of more of like a journeyman and was never really like, you know, some great starter, but like he had a pretty decent year for the Colts and he resigned there. And I think he's been able to do more with less a corner. And I think you're talking about, and we don't know exactly what his defense is going to be, but you're talking about, you know, cover two corners, probably not the the position you kind of need to uh, invest the most resources in, in terms of guys you can kind of find a little bit more easier. So I think there's some truth to that in terms of you can get more out of less, but you still need like a baseline of, of competency here. And they're, they're just not even approaching that right now. All right, BLG, I'm going to put you to the test, see your uh, coaching handicapping ability here. Eagles made two picks last year on defense, one little higher than the other, and both of them contributed in smallish ways last year. And you would think just naturally in year number two, you're going to be able to see more out of them, but it's no longer the Jim Schwartz defense. It is the Jonathan Gannon defense, so you have to try and – Factor in how these guys are going to fit and the rest of the roster. Uh, give me your read on which one do you think will actually be more of a defensive contributor this year, uh, Kavon Wallace <laughs> or Davian Taylor? Which is going to be the guy who's going to fit well in the Gannon system and be able to fight his way onto the field? Uh, I, I'm going to go with Wallace just because, I mean, I still think Davion Taylor has much to prove in terms of being ready to contribute to a football team and having the experience and, and understanding and everything to do that. I think he looked lost when we saw him out there on the field, which isn't, you know, a shock given his lack of experience. But I think with Wallace, um, I'm kind of interested to see how he kind of fits into the nickel picture too, because that's, you know, for as much as we kind of label him a safety, you know, that's something he did at Clemson. And I think that's kind of one of the strengths is kind of being able to move down, obviously, you know, nickel corner slash box safety. So I think he could have some kind of sub package role. Obviously you're not going to play him uh, like a pie on the back end a ton, but I, I think he could have uh, a, a, he could be a role player for this defense. Whereas Davion Taylor, I think best case for him is really, he's kind of just realistically contributing on special teams. You know, one thing defensively I found interesting at practice, Brandon was for a period there. I think it was Joe Osman. It was Patrick Johnson and Jannard Avery. Uh, They moved off to the side. They were working away from the other linebackers, uh, and sort of whatever you want to call it, a stand-up rusher role. I think that would be Ryan Kerrigan and as the, the season gets closer. But it does seem like they're going to have that stand-up rusher role. Um, and people talk about aggression all the time. I, I, I'm going to throw out this term because I think 
It was Jamon Brown, the great Jamon Brown era. <laughs> but he had a great quote about because he played for Sean McVay. And he said, it's mm-hmm. the illusion of complexity. It's really simple. Mm. His offense is unbelievably simple. I think that's what you're going to get with Gannon. I think you're going to get a more simple defense, but there's going to be this illusion of complexity and, and that stand-up rusher is is going to be a part of it. Am I on to something? Then it's going to be cover two, cover three on the back end. Yeah, I mean, that's something you talked about with us, right, is the like the the concept of creating pressure before the snap as opposed to after the snap and kind of, you know, getting into the, the quarterback's mind and, and kind of confusing them um, before the ball uh, even gets to him. So, yeah, I definitely think there's something to that. I think it's interesting because – you know, I, you know. Look, you know, we know. I don't think we're expecting you know Jannard Avery yeah. or Patrick Johnson or, or Joe Osman to suddenly be off-ball linebackers. You know, and, and like running with tight ends. You know, for, I don't think you know. I don't think anyone's expecting to see that. But it is interesting to see how you know it's kind of a different role. Um, it seems like they have something. Like Jonathan Ginn has a plan. He has, he has some specific things in mind for as much as he might say, you know, he might not have a scheme. He does seem to have certain ideas in mind here. And that's one of the interesting wrinkles I think we could see this year, like you're alluding to there, that kind of uh, interesting linebacker role. Uh, let me ask you about a uh, player here who's kind of on a make or break it year for the Philadelphia Eagles. Kind of like uh, our uh, buddy at uh, left tackle that we've already talked about today. Some people got turned off by the fact that Andre Dillard never seemed to want to get into a fight with Jason Peters and take the job from him, or that if his job is up for grabs, that he's going to be the guy who's going to get the job done and punch somebody in the face if he has to. I feel the same way about Derek Barnett. Since the time that he was drafted, two Eagle first-round draft picks, neither one of which has really dazzled me at any point in their Eagle career. Well, the Eagles went out and got a guy like Ryan Kerrigan, who's going to come in. And if he's better than Derek Barnett, he's going to play over Derek Barnett, at least my opinion. And we'll see how the coaches handle it. But that's a serious challenge to Derek Barnett. The same way there have been serious challenges to Andre Dillard since he was drafted number one. Is Derek Barnett going to surge with that challenge or is he going to shrink from that challenge? Uh, I would bet on Surge. I think Derek Barnett is mild mannered, and he might be kind of quiet. And but I don't, I don't think he lacks toughness at all. You know, it's something Jim Schwartz has praised him for, and talked about how his daughters wore Derek Barnett's jerseys because they're big fans of him. But that's an interesting dynamic too, because you know Schwartz is no longer here. I still think the organization has hopes for Derek Barnett, given that he was this GM's first round pick, and I think they'd very much like to be in a position to sign him to a long term deal. Uh, if it's justified. So uh, I still feel like Barnett's going to be playing over Kerrigan. And I feel like Kerrigan, ideally you're going to keep him, you know, on a limited workload anyway, to kind of get the most out of him as opposed to, you know, giving him this full slate and maybe he doesn't have it by the end of the season, but you know, it is a legitimate, you know, like threat here um, that if Barnett isn't producing with all the opportunities getting early on in the year and, and Kerrigan is, then sure, maybe it kind of uh, the scale kind of tips there. But I think for now, you know, Barnett's still ahead. And I think Kerrigan's limited to more of a rotational role as that third guy behind Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett. You know, continuing on the, the Kerrigan point there, Brandon, I don't think you can criticize the Eagles for that signing. I mean, you look at the cap number, the guy fell in their lap. I think if they signed him for seven, eight million, then you could have criticized him. But he is still a good player. 
He's still a proven player. I think you're right. He's got to be on a pitch count at this stage of his career. But you have Derek Barnett entering a contract year. So is Josh Sweat, by the way. Mm -hmm. And we all know this is a transition. The owner himself called it a transition. So isn't it more important to learn if Derek Barnett's going to be the future, if Josh Sweat's going to be the future, but Ryan Kerrigan's too good to not play? Is, Is that some weird kind of counterintuitive uh, thing that they've gotten themselves into. I think that's where you can look at again. Let, let me be clear up front. I think the Ryan Kerrigan signing is a one to make. Like they should have made it. It's good, especially the value and everything. Um, but to your point about playing time and everything, I mean, I think if you're looking for a criticism of the signing, it's that you know Harry Roseman every offseason, what's he talk about? We need to get younger. We need to get yeah. younger. Well, Harry Roseman, here are your free agent signings this season. You signed Ryan Kerrigan in his age 33 season, Joe Flacco in his age 36 season, Anthony Harris in his age 30 season, Andrew Adams in his age 29 season, and then Eric Wilson in his age 27 season. So you didn't actually really add a lot of youth in free agency, and I know that's you know you're not going to get guys who are 22 and 23. That's how the draft works, not how free agency works. But still, the you know, point being. Like they didn't really make the team super younger. And to me, I think a frustrating point would be if the Eagles are kind of, let's say they're out of it, they're four and 10 late in the season. And we're seeing Kerrigan playing ahead. We're seeing Kerrigan get a lot of playing time. And then Teron Jackson isn't getting on the field. And some of these younger guys who you're kind of trying to evaluate in a year where admittedly the owner is saying, you know, we're in a transition. We're not really necessarily all in this year uh, to not be able to get some of those young guys playing time at the expense of someone like Kerrigan, who isn't going to be a long-term piece here. That's where I kind of start to wonder, you know, if things could get disappointing down the road. BLG, we've had you on for almost a half an hour, and we haven't mentioned the Eagles quarterback position once. Um, <laughs> is Here's one of the interesting things about where the Eagles are at quarterback with Jalen Hurts right now. We're not going to be able to judge him till preseason games, and even if that, people put as much emphasis on it as they think it is necessary. We're probably not going to really be able to judge him until the regular season is underway. We're looking for things that we can judge. He's a good leader. His teammates like him. He works hard. So they're not going to be any reading between the lines with this guy. He's checking all those boxes. Can we wait until like week three or week four and have a decent sample size to go, okay, Jalen Hurts, yeah, this is our guy, or, oh, shoot, Jalen Hurts, you got 12 more weeks to get through, then we got to go find our next quarterback. How are we going to get through all this time? Well, I think the things you're touching on there are not to be glossed over because I think that the previous quarterback here, there are some issues in that regard and we're yeah. contributing factors into the demise of Mr. Carson Wentz. So I think for Jalen Hurts to have those things is important now, though, like you're saying, can he play? Because if he can't play and he has all those things, then he's a great backup or a good backup, but he's not you know, a starter in the league. And I think it's pretty clear that the Eagles have reservations about Jalen Hurts. I don't want to say that they don't have any hope for him, but I don't think they're nearly putting all their eggs in his basket, so to speak. So he's a lot to prove. And I think Hurts deserves a chance. I think you give him you know, a, a new coaching staff an off season, a full off season, you know, not a COVID shortened off season, like a full off season. And you consider, you know, how young he is and how he has this leadership and potential. And I think there's a chance he can improve. Now, the question to me is how much is he actually going to improve? Because when you look at a lot of numbers last year, 
towards the bottom of the league in accuracy in a lot of key categories. So is he really going to bridge that gap from one of the worst starters potentially to one of the best suddenly? Like I think that's you know a lot to ask. And I think the Eagles shouldn't be settling, especially when they have these assets next year and the th- three potential first-round picks, some cap space to work with, um, potentially a high draft pick of their own to, to do something with. So, um, I, you know, I think Jalen Hurts is in a position where he has to leave no doubt. Like he, it's not just going to be good enough. I think if he's kind of just solid this year, he has to really convince this team that he's the guy. And if there's any kind of doubt, then I think they're going to look to pivot as soon as the opportunity presents itself. Speaking of Brandon, last one from me and thanks for joining the show. And I want to see the BLG next time I see it, but yes. um, yeah, we had Mike Garofolo on yesterday and I gave him a, a classic Jody Mac uh, hypothetical. And I said, I, I think inside baseball for people that I know, Mike is really plugged in to the Eagles organization and you can do the math there. But mm-hmm. I asked him a simple question. I said, if the allegations evaporate on Deshaun Watson, how quickly is Howie Roseman on the phone? And he said the water would still be wet. It wouldn't evaporate. That's how quickly it would happen. So my point is, if Deshaun Watson is clear and free and available next offseason, is there anything Jalen Hurts can do to be the long-term answer of this Philadelphia Eagles team? Again, it has to be a situation where, like, just there's no doubt. Like, he's just like, there's no doubts about him. I also think an interesting factor, even if there kind of is doubt about him, maybe from the building, is is the players. Like, if the players love Jalen Hurts and the team, and they do love him, and now they can't love him, and the team wins six games, and that you know obviously like influences the 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 team's decision making. But if they love him, and let's say they win a playoff game, well, then I think it, it might be a tough sell to the players that like, hey, we're just getting rid of this guy like we're casting him aside to bring in a guy from you know who has had allegations off the field who like wanted to leave his team and i think understandably so but still a guy who wanted to leave his team um so it could be interesting if it reaches that point but i do agree with mike and i think deshaun watson is exactly you know again we're putting the off the the allegations aside which is hard to do but just looking from a on-field standpoint and the talent the profile like how would the eagles not love to add that kind of player at his age on a reasonable contract especially they'd be trading for like who was arguably like a top five at least top 10 quarterback in the league last year despite everything uh that the texans had going wrong for them otherwise like that's the kind of player the eagles would love to add like I could see Jeffrey Lurie, you know, we, we know he kind of wields some power here just a little bit. Like I could see him like really wanting Deshaun Watson. And I think that's been out there too, that, that the interest in him has been partly motivated by him. Cause that's probably the profile. He probably sees a, a surefire franchise quarterback in Deshaun Watson. And I think Jalen hurts has yet to prove that. And until he does otherwise, I think they're going to continue to pr- pursue Deshaun Watson. Last thing for me, BLG. Um, if things go well, Jalen Hurts will be the leader on this offense. It's just natural in football for the quarterback to be the offensive leader. Everybody wants it. Everybody works toward it. It's 99% of the time exactly the way it shakes out. Defense is a little bit different. Your number one leader can come from a different position, a couple different positions. Usually you want it to be the guy who's going to call the signals in the huddle. It's more often a linebacker or a safety, but it can be a defensive lineman. The Eagles' veteran guys are along the D-line with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham. Uh, is there someone in the linebacker crew 
Assuming Bradley McLeod is back early enough in the season, he's got veteran status on this team. Can he be that guy? I think they missed Malcolm Jenkins tremendously last year because I don't think they ever truly filled that element of the leader of the defense. Who is going to be the leader of the defense in 2021? I think it'll be Rodney. I think he kind of, though, like as you kind of touched on, it varies by unit. Obviously, you no know, Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham are really big voices in the defensive line room. A linebacker, I mean, Alex Singleton, I guess, <laughs> maybe. I guess that's the guy there. Um, Eric Wilson? Kind of, no, I was Jonathan thinking, Gannon? So maybe. I was wondering that. Um, yeah. It, it's Yeah, I don't know. And really, at cornerback, it's kind of funny. Like Darius Dar- Dar- Slay, obviously, the veteran there, but it's kind of funny to think about him as a leader, He's kind of a goofy guy. Um, but yeah, I think it's Rodney McLeod overall and really not just for the defense, but kind of the team, like he's probably the most, you know, vocal and respected kind of leader of the team other than, you know, Jalen hurts. If you're going to say, because he's the quarterback and maybe he kind of, you know, takes more of a bigger role. I, I assume he would presumably starting this season. Um, but in terms of someone who's been here before and has the respect of all the players, it's definitely Rodney. BLG, have yourself a great Memorial day weekend. We'll be on the site all weekend as well. Uh, we were, going to try and get through the month of June, which is the toughest for all of us trying to create Eagles content with not much happening. Uh, We'll certainly be checking in with you from time to time. Thanks for hopping on with us today. All right. Thanks for having me. There he is. B-L-G. Brandon Lee Gowton here with us on Birds 365. Jody Mack with Johnny Mack here with you on Birds 365. We'll come back. Uh, Got a good spot coming up next hour. We're going to head down south. Roll tight a little bit. Details to come here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions into space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. 
Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Number two of this Thursday edition, final day of the week and final day of the month because uh, the guys here at Birds 365 are going to take a lengthy Memorial Day weekend, do the right thing, honor those who uh, fought for us and lost for us. So uh, we'll not be back here with Birds 365 till Tuesday, which is a good day to come back because it's June 1st and there may actually be some movement around the National Football League because of the way that the salary cap works and the relief that you get as of June 1st. We'll get back into that in a second. But before we do, Eagle fans, if you would be so kind, allow these two wrestling geeky losers one second. I mm-hmm. do want to tell Johnny Mac. I don't think I've ever discussed this with John Mack, even though we're both huge wrestling fans. RVD might be one of my three favorite wrestlers in the top 20 years. Wow. Not because he was a Philly guy in ECW. Not because he had uh, one of the great signature moves. But I thought he was great in the ring. I just thought he was a phenomenal actual wrestler, which much too often in this world, at least in that world, I think we don't emphasize enough. It's the ability to put over in promos and talk a good game. It's, It's not about being good at what you're supposed no. to be doing, which is actually wrestling. I thought Van Dam was great at it. Um, and oh, by the way, he's been on a couple of shows over the last year or so because he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Man, he could be on Birds 365. He's losing his hair fast. He had one of the greatest <laughs> mullets of all time. He it did. just ain't what it used to be anymore. Sorry about that, RVD. But I did, did want to give him a uh, major thumbs up and a solid... Uh, one of my all-time favorite, at least the last 20 years. He's in my top three. That's how big an RBD wow. fan. I wouldn't I mean, go that high. I liked him a lot. I think he had the best five-star frog splash of all time. Tremendous athlete um, for, for pro wrestling. But I got to go. I'm in the Shawn Michaels category. They just had his documentary on, on A&E, which I encourage everyone to watch. He's number one. I just see the respect he gets from his peers. Um, he, he was amazing to me. Also a bit of an a-hole. Uh, so he had an interesting life uh, uh, coming up from a tag team wrestler to becoming the, basically the biggest star uh, in the industry for at least a short period of time. Then I got, you know, I got to go. Austin is so much better, so yeah, much Austin, better than everybody. Austin, like, Austin is number one. There's no, yeah. no doubt about that. Yeah, and then I would put, I would put Dwayne Johnson at number two. I mean, the success is is unbelievable uh, to the point. Yeah, where, but, but his success is post wrestling. No, but uh, I'm no. talking about just when he was a wrestler. Well, in the it was WWE. interesting. It, it's one of those things. It, and wrestling, Steve Austin 
broke every box office record there was, and mainly Hulk Hogan had them. So you got to put Hulk in the conversation as well, but he wasn't a very good wrestler, more of a character-based guy. Um, and then Dwayne broke all Steve's records. So the question is, it's one of those things, did Steve pave the way? And it wasn't because of Steve Austin, but no, Dwayne, The Rock was tremendous success in wrestling and then became an even bigger success outside of wrestling. Offside, uh, just off the charts. Um, I, yeah, it sounds to me like you're a bigger uh, fan of uh, uh, the H HBK, Heartbreak Kid, uh, than I was. Who do you think was better, him or Chris Jericho? Well, I think Michaels is a better wrestler. I think Michaels is, you know, maybe the best in-ring wrestler that ever lived. When Rick really? Flair, yeah, when Rick Flair calls you that, you know, put a check mark down. That means something uh, to me. I, I, I would argue it's Rick Flair, but Rick Flair tells me it's Shawn Michaels, so he's in the conversation. I, you know, when we had Alex Marvez on the show, I said. The thing that impressed me about Chris Jericho, and Alex is writing a book about him, um, is how many times he's changed uh, characters, changed right. his. So I have tremendous respect for Chris Jericho. I, he's not as good as Shawn Michaels, but that's not an insult. I mean, he's, he's an all-time great, but Shawn Michaels is just. And again, I point, there's guys, I, I'll, I'll correlate it to the NFL because we always have to talk NFL. There are guys I talk to. Aaron Donald is the guy now. So when I talk to actual NFL players about other NFL players and they're in awe of them, <laughs> and that's how everybody is with Aaron Donald. That's how everybody was with Randy Moss, Michael Vick, players like that. Um, his peers are in awe of Shawn Michaels. There, there are guys who've got – there are 50, 100 guys who are great now that got in this industry, in that industry, because of Shawn Michaels. That, to me, in fact, when I think about it that way, he and Ray Mysterio, Ray Mysterio is that way as well. Um, they, they, they encouraged and, and made so many wrestlers want to become wrestlers. And when your peers have that much respect for you, that, that carries a lot of weight for me. And I agree with you about Mysterio. Um, and I, I'll give the WWE at least as much credit. And we promise Eagle fans will get back to football talk here in just a second. Um, they have rushed Rey Mysterio's son into the mix oh, a little bit right. too quickly. And they're playing it right in that you don't really belong here is what he's got to face every week. And I'm going like, yeah, I'm watching it. I'm going, yeah, it doesn't really belong here. They're, they're pushing him a little bit too fast. I don't know if it's because Ray wants or they actually do see something, but to make him a no. champ as quickly as they well, did. Little, little, so inside, little inside baseball there, Jody. They have competition now. Tony Khan, AEW, we talked about with uh, Alex when he was on. Tony, Tony has more money. Well, his dad has more money than Vince does. Uh, they have a lot of money. So they can get in the mix when they want to sign people. Ray Mysterio, uh, his contract was up, and he would have went to AEW for the lighter schedule, a lot of money, easy life. 
So they agreed. Now we'll we'll give Dominic a big push. That's that's how that that's that's how they got him to resign. Okay, that 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 makes a lot of sense because yeah, I don't really think that Dominic deserves to have the big perch that he's sitting on. But that's okay. All right, wrestling aside, sorry, we're just wrestling fans, <laughs> and we've got a couple of minutes here that we can spend. Uh, back to the birds and the fact that we've got a, a lengthy Memorial Day weekend, and then before you know it, they'll be back in for more voluntary practices and what they've already accomplished so far uh, this off season. You and I uh, are going back to Monday on Peter column, Peter King's uh, morning in America football column noted that he picked the Eagles 28th. He came out with his preseason rankings, power rankings, and we all know what power rankings mean next to nothing. It's just an opinion. It's just a conversational piece. Got to talk people off the ledge. uh, Peter King put him 26th. I I noted a couple other uh, major outlets that had their rankings. I believe CBS had them 20. uh, Peter King had them 28th. CBS had them uh, 27th. ESPN had them 26th. NFL.com had them 25th. So it was a nice little progression. Actually got better from Peter King at 28, CBS at 27, ESPN at 26, NFL. I could have kept researching. I don't think I was getting any lower than 25th, as a matter of fact. But the national pundits, the major outlets, think the Eagles are certainly going to be in the bottom third. Some of them have them in the last five in the National Football League. I asked this of one of our guests this week. I thought might have been Mike Garfolo because uh, he is uh, again. Yeah, it was Mike. Guy. Yeah, the Eagles playing the underdog role. We know they played it just a couple of years ago in 2017. Little different when you're playing a home playoff game. Granted, they were underdogs against the Atlanta Falcons. Still don't quite understand that line. Didn't then. Still don't now even though if Polio Jones had held on to the ball, they could have been picked off in the, the first simple round. line. They lost their quarterback, Jody. Everybody thought they were going to lose. They lost their quarterback. I got news for you, Jody. I was in the Novacare complex the day after, uh, for the day after press conference when Carson Wentz got hurt in Los Angeles. I can only describe it as a week. Everybody in that organization thought it was over. So what when I think uh, about the underdog, I hated that mentality. All due respect to our friend Jack Berman, whose book is great. Read his book, which is underdogs. But um, they were never underdogs. They were the best team in football. But they lost their quarterback. And when you lose your quarterback, people say, it's over. All right, we're screwed. You know, an even better indication is the whole season. We all know Dick Vermeil crying when Trent Green gets hurt. What happens? Kurt Warner goes berserk. Right. They win the whole thing. That was a whole season. The Eagles thought it was over. They thought it was over. So they went from favorites to underdogs because the quarterback got hurt. And that's one thing. I That was a fraud. The Eagles were the best team in football that season. But you know what? They used it. They said, nobody believes in us. No, everybody believed in you. They just said the quarterback got hurt and you're screwed because you got to play the backup. But they used it and it worked for them. So that's all that matters. That's all that matters. If you can use something and it works, 
Godspeed. They were a great team. You can't compare that team with this team. This team's underdogs because nobody, everybody thinks they stink. Nobody thought that team stunk. Right. So you're you're doing a good job of setting me up for the question that I asked both Mike Garfolo and I'll uh, ask again to you now. If they're going to play the underdog card, if that's the role they're going to take, if it is a conscious decision by their coach and or their leaders, I don't know if I'd really say that about Jalen Hurts. I I don't see him coming out and going, yeah, we're the underdog. Nobody's giving us respect. We're going to put no, but behind closed doors, maybe they could sell that or a guy who was part of the Super Bowl winning championship team could revisit that like Elaine Johnson, like a uh, Fletcher Cox. Can they play the underdog role to start the year and then keep it rolling the way that they did in 2017? It popped up in that Washington <laughs> game. They rode it all the way till the championship over Tom Brady and the Patriots. Can they? Is is that a, a, a way of motivating yourself and a line of thinking that can work an entire season? Uh, I, I, you know, if something works, use it. You know, one of the things Doug would always, you know, might have been Jody McDonald. You don't know. He might have clipped something you said and said, listen to this. You know what? Listen to what he's saying about us. Doug would often do that to his team and 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 try to, you know, get them hopped up uh, on, on criticism and saying, look at what these guys are saying about you. Yeah, we all. We often talk about shelf life, but if the same guy uses that same card over and over and over again, at some point somebody's going to stop listening. Right. Um, you you have a new coach. Yeah, he might use it and say, Peter King thinks we're the 28th best team in the NFL. That's so-and-so thinks we stink. And I said to Mike Garofolo, I said, this is all based on the coach and the quarterback. That's it. That's it. People think the coach is overmatched. The quarterback has started four games, completed 52% of the passes. Like BLG just said, it's hard to imagine he's going to be a top 10 quarterback coming off that season, even though it was a small sample size. That's all they're rating this on, the coach and the quarterback. They're not looking at the offensive line. They're not looking at the defensive line. So, this team almost has to be better than expectations. I I would say that. What Nick Sirianni uses to get him there, yeah, he might use underdogs. He might use Peter King. He might say nobody believes in us. But he can use anything because he's new and the voice is new. And you're right about there is so much emphasis on the coach and the quarterback basically because it's been earned and the way things have broken in the national football league for the last three years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Uh, It's not that people are off on some kind of a tangent here by putting that kind of an emphasis on the coach and the quarterback. It's proved that the coach and the quarterback are that important. And Eagles do have question marks there at at both of those positions. Oh, by the way, I'll mention that I think they have a pretty big question back question mark at cornerback not quarterback as much as anything else but I'm really interested to see if they go down that road and Lane Johnson is one of those guys who can do it because he did it before he was part of 2017 he can say it 
and people will believe it because, hey, it's Lane Johnson. He told us they were underdogs before. And look at what happened. We had a parade. Let's let's all line up behind Lane and uh, say that we believe this. We're being disrespected. I, I don't know that that's the case, but if it's a, uh, as you say, whatever you can get your hands on to use, you go ahead and use it. Shoot, last night I was on WIP. I think that Ben Simmons was motivated by the criticism that he heard during the week. So do he I. And see how it works? He had had a major game, at least my estimation, in game one. 15 assists and 15 rebounds. 15 assists and 15 rebounds. And people are going, yeah, but he only had six points. And he missed all his free throws. Yeah, he did. But can we get back to 15 rebounds and 15 assists? I didn't understand the critique he was falling on. We're on different pages here. You know this, Jody, because we were talking about it before the show started. But I will say, look at the difference between game one and game two. Look at the difference between game one and game two. The the Wizards hung around in game one, and they weren't even in the game at all, game two. The only difference to me, Ben Simmons is a great player. Nobody's saying Ben Simmons isn't a great player. He doesn't play the way he should play on a consistent basis. And when he's aggressive, he makes things easier for his team. It's a pretty simple criticism, and I don't understand why people don't get it. And by the way, Doc Rivers knows it. Daryl Morey knows it. Ben Simmons probably knows it. Everybody knows Jimmy Butler sure as hell knows it. Joel Embiid knows it. Everybody knows it. And I don't know what's happened to Philadelphia. I agree with John Kincaid, our buddy over at 97.5. You don't, I know. Look, the guy needs to be more aggressive to help his team. He doesn't have to make the shots. He's just got to take them. Well, he actually took nine shots game number one. He only made three. So it was about making it, not taking it. Um, Here's the point that I'm trying to make. We all know. His game number one was a B-plus game. It was a B-plus game. You get 15 assists. You get 15 rebounds. It's a B-plus game. Even if you go over yeah, six from the line and you score six points, it's a B-plus game. But if you listen to the critique of the Philadelphia 76 event, you would have thought he played an F game. They won, and he did a lot to contribute to that win. It was a B-plus game. Now, last night was an A game. You're right about yeah. that. He played a better game, and you would hope that he would have more A games. But when he has a B-plus game, you, you think the world is coming to an end with somebody six or fans. The Sixers have an easier time. Not Ben Simmons. Forget about Ben Simmons. Look at the team. The Sixers have an easier time when he is more aggressive. It's the simplest thing in the world to see. Simplest thing in the world. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but Ben Sim, in listening to the callers and listening to the, the people lamenting him for his game, it sounded like he was the reason that they lost the game. Oh, by the way, they didn't lose the game. They won no. the game. But if you listen to the burial of Ben Simmons, you would think they would lost the game. You'd think he would have played an F game. I, and I that's just not a fact. No, I'm not talking about individual callers. I, I wasn't listening to your individual callers. Constructive criticism is not burying someone. Constructive criticism and pointing out the Sixers are a better team at game one versus game two, they're both wins. 
but one was a heck of a lot easier than the other. And what is the biggest correlation to that? Right. If uh, is the only point I'm trying to make, and we've got our guest, uh, Chris Wallace, going to come up and join us in a second. If you ask me, what kind of game did Ben Simmons have in game one of this year? Who cares about I, the Sixers? Forget about the individual. Look at the team. What was when were the Sixers better? Game one, game well, two. Wait a minute. Don't don't you and I talk about individual players when we talk about the Eagles? Oh, sure, but you're you're well, focusing that's on the point a I'm making. I'm talking about an individual but player, Ben Simmons, and the way that he played. Ben Simmons is a great basketball player. When he plays the right way, he's a better basketball player. And playing the right way is being aggressive for his skill set, taking the shots that are there, not forcing shots, just taking the shots that are there. And you'll see that as the playoffs move on and they get the better teams. You've already seen it, Jody. You've already seen the Boston Celtics take him out of games and pass playoff situations because he won't shoot. This is not a outside-of-the-box criticism. It's obvious to basketball people. It's It was obvious that Brett Brown, he couldn't do anything about it. It's obvious that Doc Rivers, everybody knows he needs to shoot more. I don't know why people get upset when people say that. Because people want to emphasize the negative with Ben Simmons. When he has mixed result games like game one, mixed results. 0 for 6 at the foul line can't happen. But he got 15 boards and 15 assists. Who else is putting up those kind of numbers? Who else is putting up over six at the foul line? A certain segment of the population of Sixer fans only want to look at what Ben Simmons does. By the way, you bring up a good point. Over six is unacceptable. I did say that. But, again, over six, when you end up winning the game, you can move on from. We're going to move on because we've got a next guest coming. Chris Walsh from Sports Illustrated covers Alabama. And we got a whole bunch of Alabama guys ready to play and contribute for the Eagles this year. Chris Waltz of SI next here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. 
Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. End of the week because we'll be off tomorrow. Edition of Birds 365. John McMillan, Jody McDonald here with you. Uh, we'll get back into the Eagles here. We got mm-hmm. on both a wrestling and a basketball tangent. <laughs> Last segment. Sorry about that. We'll get back to the birds here and we'll take a look from a different lens. New birds coming in from new climbs. That would be down south in Roll Tide area. Alabama. We go to Tuscaloosa to uh, talk to Chris Wells, who covers them for Sports Illustrated. He knows a lot about Jalen Hurts, about Devontae Adams, about Landon Dickerson. How are these guys going to fit in up here in the uh, all cold north? Uh, Is this going to be a uh, nice transition for the Alabama players, or do you think they got some work ahead of them? Oh, I I think they're going to be just fine. And the one guy who really especially kind of jumps out to be as someone who I think is going to fit in very nicely with the Eagles and the Eagles fans is Landon Dickerson. And I know everyone's kind of like, oh, well, you know, the injuries, the injuries, the injuries. Just trust me, in terms of personality, uh, aggressiveness, the way that he plays, Eagles fans are going to fall in love with this guy. He is – he was a treat to cover at Alabama and – and, and I'll tell you what, it's I know Eagles fans. I mean, I was actually born in Camden, one of my best friends, one of the biggest diehard Eagles fans that there is. Um, this this is this guy's got more he's got personality come out, coming out of his ears. You guys are gonna love him. Yeah, I've already met uh Landon a couple times, obviously via Zoom uh, at this stage of the games, uh Christopher, but you know, you can tell the personality shines through. That's one thing the Eagles have talked about not only with Landon, but also Devontae Smith, is this culture, and obviously it starts with Nick Saban, Alabama, so you can talk about it a lot. But, you know, during COVID-19, Landon was the guy who made the makeshift gym uh, down there so everybody could get together, work out together. That culture thing, is that overrated? How important is it and how important are these guys? Obviously, we have veteran players here. I mean, they're not – but – the Eagles are in the transition phase, and these are the type of young players that are leaders. Is that fair to say? No, it absolutely is. And you can throw uh, Jalen Hurts in there as well because, you know, he actually graduated from Alabama before he transferred over to Oklahoma. Uh, just really good kid. And that's kind of the theme with these guys that that you all have with 
um, with all these, you know, Landon and Devonta Smith, um, just really good, really good kids, really good guys. And they are three of the hardest, you know, the three names I just mentioned, three of the hardest workers that uh, you're going to find anywhere. So, and that's going to rub off on teammates. Devonta Smith, especially, I mean, you know, you go back and you look at the 2019 team and, you know, they had the four outstanding wide, wide receivers and so forth. He was named the team captain as a junior with that incredible lineup. And, you know, he came back this year and, and he was named a team captain again. Don't look past that. I know a lot of people are going to do that, but, um, you know, I, when, when it's all said and done and people look back at the 2020 team and the 2019 team, the number of players that are going to end up in the NFL and have prolific careers is going to be staggering. It's just they had so much talent uh, that that Saban was able to um, accumulate. And just because they had talent of players, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to be a really good team in college football. It's 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 not an automatic thing. And just they, you know, these guys have got it. They get it, and and they're gonna they're gonna help change the culture there. Chris Devante, question for you because yeah. leading up to the draft. A lot of people were questioning, this kid's 166 pounds. 166 pounds. How can you play in the National Football League at 166 pounds? Well, he won the Heisman Trophy in the toughest conference in college football at 166 pounds. I I tried to fight it off for most of the critics that were out there. But he is built the way that he is. I'm sure he was even skinnier than that when he first showed up in Tuscaloosa, were there attempts to put some body weight out? Were there uh, guys working with him to try and get bigger? Uh, at some point, you might just say, well, he is what he is, and we got to accept it. And, oh, by the way, he's one of the best players on the planet. Uh, what was it like from the time he showed up until he came back, played his senior year, four full <laughs> years in Alabama? Did you actually see growth? Is there a chance did he go from 166 to 174 here in Philadelphia? I don't think he's going to gain too much weight. And it's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they tried to, to get him to gain weight and uh, they, they tried all sorts of different things. And the thing is, it's just, that's, that's his physical makeup. I mean, that's just the way that he is. And I bet he gains a, a little bit of weight over the years, but uh, you know, I'll go back to, I, I covered three NFL teams before I, I covered Alabama and, one guy that I, I will never forget as a player that he reminds me of is Isaac Bruce, you know, and just, he was not that big of a player too. And all he did was just burn everybody and talking to scouts and, and so forth, NFL personnel, when they started to really kind of catch on to how good this guy is. Uh, one of my, one of the favorite lines that I, I heard from somebody was, well, okay. Yeah. He's small, but the, you know, you got to catch him and they can't catch him. So it doesn't really matter that much. And he is just such an outstanding player and does so many things right. And it was really funny, you know, watching him kind of uh, develop, especially with these other guys. I mean, Jerry Judy was known as being the route runner. Henry Ruggs <laughs> was the speed guy. Uh, Jalen Waddell was, you know, Mr. Electricity. And then you know, everyone was trying to pin a label on Devontae Smith. You know, they were kind of be like, well, you know, he's just kind of a, a, a combination he's just just darn good is what it just boils down to. And he works so hard. And I, I can't emphasize enough. 
Now, uh, Christopher, I do. I I want to tell you a little story. Gary Cobb. I don't know if you remember him, but mm -hmm. he was the ex NFL linebacker. Played for the Eagles. Played for about a decade mm -hmm. uh, in the NFL. He's still around Philadelphia. Covers the Eagles. We're at rookie camp. We're getting our first look at Devontae Smith, and mm -hmm. you know, Gary's like, man, he's got to get some sweatpants. His legs are so <laughs> small. Yeah, and. My concern is, here's my concern. It's not 166 pounds. I agree with you with the Isaac Bruce comparison. Some people have even gone to Marvin Harrison because he's yeah. a great route runner. Um, he, but he doesn't play like he's 166 pounds. He plays like he's 200 pounds. He's not like Deshaun Jackson. He, he runs all the routes. He does everything. He's a well-rounded receiver. So my 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 one concern is, 166 pounds is 166 pounds. And when they do catch you, even if it's one time out of 100, does that concern you at all? Not too much. Because um, for the most part, the size of defensive backs in the NFL, pretty much the same size you played in the SEC this year. Remember, Alabama played an SEC-only schedule this season, the year that he won the Heisman. So, uh, the quality of op of opponents couldn't have been any higher, really. Um, I, I I think my concern would be more of, uh, you know, maybe him going over the middle and, you know, trying to go up to get a ball and leaving himself a little bit vulnerable and taking a really nasty hit, say, in the ribs. Um, and that, to me, I, I, think there's, I think there's a greater chance of something like that happening or getting, you know, a headshot, and I really hope it doesn't happen. Then, then really, the the weight issue. Now, real quick on Jalen Waddle, one to follow up because there are a lot of people, and you're in Alabama, so I'll ask you. They were saying, you know, Jalen was supposed to be the guy in Alabama, and then he got hurt. Devonte sort of took over. But you look at that wide receiver room, and how talented it was going back to the guys you mentioned, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. Um, what was the plan in Alabama? Was was Jalen supposed to be sort of the wide receiver number one, and then Demonte sort of just seized it? No, no, not at all. In fact, it was uh, uh, Devonte was um, he had been a starter already, and this was the first year that Jalen Waddle was going to start. So, I mean, it, it really was Devonte Smith's uh, group in, in, in large part. Jalen put up better numbers over the first you know four or five games. And I think a lot of that had to do with just teams were trying to figure out how to how, they hadn't quite figured out how to stop them. You know, it's 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 they hadn't really done the film study because there really wasn't that much film study really to go by kind of thing. And then, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was a master at we're going to take advantage of this kind of thing. So Devontae Smith was already kind of the guy, but it, he really took off after Jalen Waddle got hurt. And, uh, you know, there's no denying that. But. It, it was amazing to watch how he kind of put uh, the passing game, if you will, uh, on his shoulders. And he was just like, I'm, I'm just going to kind of take this over. And nobody could stop him. I mean, it was – and it really, you know, that it really took that for everyone to kind of figure out how good that he is. Because, I mean, a year ago, kind of like what I was alluding to before, and everyone was still kind of trying to figure out, you know, you know, Judy's it, Judy won the Blinnikoff Award, and and you know he was supposedly like like this incredible route runner, and he and he was, but it 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 took for 
Devontae to kind of, I don't want to say be on his own, but that's really what it took for everyone to, to, to really kind of learn in that respect. And he just thrived and he just kept going. And, uh, I, you know, the next guy is going to be at Alabama's guy named John Mechie, who also had a great year last year, but, um, it, it's just the whole dynamic changed and, and still no one can stop him. Mechie will be a top of the first round pick this upcoming year. Mark it down. Uh, Chris Walsh, <laughs> our guest here on, uh, birds 365. I, prior to the draft, I think most Eagle fan believed that the birds were going to be taking a kid from Alabama but they didn't necessarily think it was going to be a wide receiver. Instead, uh, I think they believed it was going to be a cornerback, which Eagles still have a need, low these couple months later. Patrick Sertan was off the board at number nine. I think that came as a surprise to most of the folks here in the Delaware Valley and maybe across the NFL. Broncos going cornerback there. I don't think many people predicted it. So the Eagles were never really even had a shot at Sertan. What kind of a pro cornerback is he going to be? Did he de- deserve to come off the board before a guy like Devonta Smith? Well, his dad was an, was an all-pro player, and uh, he has the potential to be better than his dad, to be honest. And that's not a comparison that I make lightly. I mean, Patrick Stain's one of those guys that, that when I was covering the NFL, I remember just really how good that he was. Uh, he's... He reminds me a lot of uh, Marlon Humphrey now with the, with the Ravens, who's an outstanding corner. He's going to be very solid. He's going to be a rock at that position. Uh, you know, honestly, I thought there was a real good chance somebody might trade up to try to get Patrick Sertain just because, uh, in my mind, he stood out that much from the rest of the cornerback field with one or two possible exceptions um, and you know, it's, it's just kind of what the priority is now, but the way the game's going, you've got to have those, you know, electric, you know, um, playmakers, you know, guys like Waddle, guys like Devonta Smith, guy like, guys like Najee Harris. And when Alabama had three or four of them, uh, you know, the same year, I mean, national championship. I do want to talk to you about Jalen Hurts. Obviously, he's going to take over this team as the quarterback one. The one thing everybody says, Christopher, everybody, natural-born leader, Javon Hargrave, defensive tackle, said it yesterday to us on Zoom. People gravitate towards Jalen Hurts. Did you notice that at, at the college level? And how impressive was he when he lost the job to Tua? Because yeah. most guys would sulk in that type of situation. Yeah, and for the most part, he was outstanding. And I, he's a good quarterback. And the funny thing was, the the year that he, you know, after he lost his starting job, he still became a better quarterback during that year. In fact, he, he really grew a lot. And when he got into the game uh, near the end of the season, the SEC championship, I think it was, uh, you could really see the difference in how much better that he had gotten. Uh, yeah, he's he is a leader, and he is a guy that people are going to rally around and um, gravitate to. I, you know, I, I'm like everyone else. I'm still a little bit in shock in the way things played played out a little bit there, but you know, I'm really excited for him that he got the opportunity, and for Alabama to, to suddenly have three guys from that quarterback room a couple of years ago, we're all looking at maybe being starting quarterbacks really, really soon, you know, who know, you know, Mac Jones in new England, I'm not going to say he's going to start this year, but you know, Tua, uh, Tua Tungabayola and, and, and Jalen Hurts and, and Mac Jones. I mean, Holy cow. Um, 
what a, you know, terrific group. They're all outstanding. Understood. And yes, Eagle fans should have a little interest in Tua Tungaveloa because of some draft maneuvering back and forth, trading up, trading back. The Eagles actually have the Dolphins first round draft pick this upcoming draft. Mm-hmm. I'm a Tua fan. I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he should have won the Heisman in his final year at Alabama. They gave it to Murray. It was close between the two. I would have given my vote to Tua. Uh, I thought he had a quasi-disappointing rookie year. I know he's making a lot of news today, speaking out yesterday. He didn't feel confident enough to check out of plays last year. He just ran whatever was sent in. He's going to be a different quarterback this year. Good to hear, and I just believe he's better than what he showed last year. Um, you had that young man down there uh, for a couple of years as well, including winning a national championship. Throwing it to our guy now, Devonta Smith. You expect Tua to be that much better in year number two with the Dolphins? Yeah, I, I really do. And, you know, the thing that people really aren't talking about is, you know, he won, uh, I think he went uh, six and three last year as a starting quarterback. And that was after coming off the hip injury. And he really didn't have an offseason. You know, he didn't have the time to work with his new teammates. And I mean, it showed, and he and he did the best that he could, and they they kind of kept things close to the best. But this, this guy makes throws that are just unbelievable, and and he's just he can put the ball just about anywhere. Um, of, of the three, in my mind, he's the most exciting player to watch. And it, you know, just I was watching a little bit of that 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 Zoom session yesterday with the Dolphins. You can see. Um, <clears throat> A little bit more maturity. You can see uh, definitely more confidence, and he's def he's he's getting you know more accustomed to everything around him, the offense, and you know it, you could tell last year it was kind of patchwork. He was just trying to figure things out, and they were keeping it really really simple for him, and just trying to get by kind of thing. This year, it's it's I think you're going to see a big difference. I think it's going to be to his offense, and you're going to see more of the true to a tongue of Viola um, with the Dolphins. Father Pike Christopher, do you ever step back and say, what the heck am I watching here? We just talked about the wide receiver room, <laughs> the quarterback room. Can you tell Nick to take it easy on some people? I want more competition. <laughs> so, number one, but I, I do want to go old school Alabama with you here. Sure. Kind of old school. Julio Jones. Ah. First ballot Hall of Famer will be whenever he decides to hang it up five years after. Um once out of Atlanta. This is one of the, I I think he's the most physically dominant receiver in the NFL since Calvin Johnson. Um, How much do you think he's got left? And have you paid attention to that situation and and where it's going with Julio in Atlanta? Yeah. Let me um, give you a quick, uh, let me backtrack just a little bit. I've been here since 2004 covered three NFL teams. I thought I was coming to Alabama for like one or two years. And then I was going to go cover probably another NFL team. And they hired this guy, you know, named Nick Saban. And <laughs> it was like, and, and here's the thing about Saban that um, 2004, my first season, you know, I'm getting accustomed to the college game. Um, I had covered Arizona state for a couple of years. So it wasn't totally new to me, but I was walking down the sideline of the Alabama-LSU game, and I'm watching the LSU. And, and LSU, I'm looking at the backup players at this point, and I'm sitting there wondering, how the heck do, they, do these guys ever lose a game? It just it didn't make sense to me. That's how loaded that team was. And so when they got Saban, 
um, everything changed, obviously. I mean, it was just watching the, the transition. And this isn't a knock against Mike Shula. Mike Shula, Mike Shula actually did a heck of a job to keep them afloat um, the way that he did, uh, you know, with the whole probation and everything that was going on. But Julio was the first – he wasn't the first big name that they signed. Actually, the first big name that they signed was a kid named B.J. Scott who they wanted to use as a cornerback. But B.J. turned around and he started recruiting other guys. And one of those guys he was trying to get to come to Alabama was Julio Jones. And the second Julio got here, you you saw the difference. And I mean, Saban actually yelled at me once because I either I accidentally called him a starter or, um, or, or somebody changed it in my story. I honestly don't know which one it was. Um, but he got referred to a starter one of my stories. At that point, I was working for the Tuscaloosa News. And uh, it was during his first camp. He hadn't even played a game yet. And that's a recipe for Saban to go off in yet, basically. It's, it's, you got to be proven. You got to, you know, you got to earn it kind of thing. Um, don't assume. But Julio day one just was amazing. And 2010 season, um, he broke his hand. They were at uh, at South Carolina, and his hand got stuck in, a, in somebody's jersey. And um, he goes to the sideline. It was a game that they lost. Um, just it, it was an incredible game. It was the first time USC, I think, had ever beaten a num- team ranked number one. But uh, he breaks his hand. He goes to the sideline. He tells the strength and conditioning coach, I think I broke my hand, stays in the game amazingly. So they figure out that this guy has broken him. He, he has surgery. I, if I remember right, it was before a bye week. The following week, he's in the game against Ole Miss. I think it was Ole Miss. But he had a broken plate in, or he had a plate in his hand for his broken hand. This is like 10 days after surgery. And he's trying to play. And they had to pull him from the game. They had to keep him from like hurting himself even more. And then the following week after that, I mean, he just looked like Julio again. And he, you know, totally burned somebody. Um, Might have been Tennessee. And it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And, and I did a, a one-on-one interview with him, and I got him to describe you know, exactly where the plate was and everything about it. And there is no way that he ever should have played in that game. And that, to me, just shows what Julio Jones is about. He's got – trust me, he's got a lot left in the tank. And as soon as you think, oh, he's banged up, he's beat up, he's going to burn you. So some team is going to get incredibly lucky – and get a guy that's probably going to be a, a Pro Bowls type player for at least three, four seasons. Chris, great story. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, so no, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> okay, let's let's get it to the end. That yeah. last decade and a half, he had to rebuild the program. Did Coach Saban when he got to Alabama? To say he's done that would be a little bit of an overstatement. Understatement, excuse me. Uh, championships later, later, continuous. Uh, parade of people going into the pros and making Pro Bowls and Hall of Famers like Julio Jones and John uh, recognized earlier. Does he even have to recruit anymore? Does he just go out and go, hey, you want to come to Alabama? Done deal. And you shake the hand. Or does he actually still have to sell the program? If their success almost dictates, all you got to do is say, yeah, you want to come with us? Let's go. And you turn around and you walk out of the room and you know he's following you. Or does, Alabama, does, does Saban still love the chase of getting that five-star player to come and put on the crimson? Yeah, you know, it's it's they say about Bear Bryant that 
he could walk into someone's room and basically say, you're coming to Alabama, and the, and his, the recruiting process was over for that guy. <laughs> um, Saban, though, it's it's kind of in – I don't want to say it's in, in that quite at that level yet, but here's the thing that people don't get about Nick Saban, and, and this is a huge reason why he's as good as he is. He loves recruiting. He, he loves it as much as as coaching in a game. And, you know, the collegiate level especially, that's incredibly rare. You either, you know, you you find a lot of coaches who are either exceptional at the game part of it or they're really, they're great as re- at recruiting. To find that guy who is just as passionate about both, um, it just, that doesn't come along very often. And, I, I mean, they, the NCAA actually passed rules to try to slow him down in recruiting um, because he was just so aggressive and he was so good at it. And I mean, it's, you know, the other coaches were like, Hey, you know, it's the off season. You know, we want to go on vacation. We want to have a little downtime. And Nick is off, you know, recruiting all over the place, showing up at places like with helicopters to impress kids. And um, that was, they, that was really one of the only ways that they could try to slow him down and compete with him. He is just relentless and he is nonstop. And um, I know everyone, everyone's kind of like, okay, he's getting up in age, right? Yeah, he hasn't slowed down at all. He's still going, still loves it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how much left he's got. Um, I, I don't think the decision's going to be his uh, on when he steps down. I think it's going to be his wife's. I think at some point yeah. she's going to be like, Nick, you're done. You know, it's like Will Chamberlain in basketball, Bob Gibson in baseball. When they start changing the rules to deal with you, Mm-hmm. You know you're pretty good at your job. But yeah. <laughs> uh Chris, read Chris at BamaCentral.com. Are you on book number 20 yet? How many books have you written? 26. Many- 26. Yeah. Wow. So what is the latest one? Um, that- what is the latest one? Um <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm trying to think. I've I've got one. I've got what I know that's gonna be done eventually. Um but I, it's just we're kind of waiting on the timing and, and to figure all, all that out. Actually, I'm, I've got two probably in that respect. But the last book I did is, was called Decadent Dominance. Uh, it was a couple years ago. And it made the case that the, um, the you know, the decade um, that ended a couple years ago was the greatest decade that we'll ever see in college, uh, in college football. And then, of course, Alabama turned around and won the national championship. So, um, like, I I did this book, you know, 100 100 Things Crimson Tide Fans Have to Know and Do Before They Die. We've remade the book uh, twice, and, uh, you know, it's just – it gets outdated every couple of years. So, um, it's it's hard to do a book on Alabama – you know, and they're and and in the success yeah. they're saving because you know he's going to top it like two yeah. years later. And, I, and and by the way, the Eagles are finally in on it. They had not picked an yeah. Alabama player since two thousand and two. Yeah, before Freddie. Before you got there, Chris, and now they finally figured it out. Just take the Alabama guys. <laughs> and it sounds to me like you're writing Alabama books. It's kind of like Nick Saban and recruiting. Just got to do it. It's not really that hard. It's not yeah. hard work. Just open up the page and it kind of writes itself. Alabama, hundred things you got to know. There's a hundred more because they just keep doing this stuff for you. Well, last year, last year we did a, a series on Bama Central on the hundred greatest players of the Nick Saban era. And it was basically you had to be an All-American 
pretty much to make the, the team, which just, you know, it's just ridiculous. Um, and then this, this last group came through and I know at some point I'm going to turn it into a book and it's, it's, you know, so I'm already kind of like, okay, where does Devante Smith, you know, fit in and yeah. kind of asking those questions or even somebody like, like Jalen Hurts um, because they would definitely be in the list. Landon Dickerson be on the list and, the, the, it's we're going to have an honorable mention section and it's going to be 20 guys. <laughs> we're hoping that they fit in very well here in Philadelphia. And we think that's going to be the case. Chris, you fit in well with us. We will get you back on when next you got the next hundred to add to your latest Alabama book. We'll be glad to have you back on again. Thanks for hopping on with us today. My pleasure. Thank you guys. And, and have a great Memorial day weekend. You do the same. Chris Walsh from Sports Illustrated covers the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yes, about time Philadelphia tap into the greatness that has been Alabama <laughs> on the collegiate level. All right, Mac and Mac guys coming back. We'll put a bow on the show, wrap up both a week and a month here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. The future waits for no one, so we refuse to wait for it. We're not just pilots and engineers. We are pioneers. Today, battles are waged in nanoseconds. And planes are piloted from the other side of the world. We turn night into day and fly missions in space. The future's not coming. It's already here. This is the future. Join us and be the future. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way.
Thursday, Thursday, end of the week with Macamacai, Johnny McMullen, and Jody McDonald. Um, yes, when we return on Tuesday, because we're off tomorrow, weekend, Memorial Day, you'll get your Macamac fix back on Tuesday morning. It'll be a good one because it will be June 1st. So we'll be chock full of speculation of the relief for the salary cap, what kind of an effect it can have on the Eagles, Zach Ertz, potential trade and or release. So uh, by the time we get back here next Tuesday, believe us, we'll have uh, that much more we can sink our teeth into. Uh, are you sinking your teeth into any Macamanco's pizza or any Jersey Shore delicacies, McMullen? Are you headed east uh, for the weekend at all? Unfortunately not. I will be in my backyard when I do have some free time. So that is my beach, Jody. you got to have your own beach. Uh, my beach is uh, the mega screen TV over here to my right. Yeah. I'm going nowhere fast. I'm actually got a bunch of uh, work to do this weekend. Uh, tomorrow is an actual day off. Friday, I'm not working anywhere. I'm not doing 365. I'm not doing WIP. I'm not doing WFAN. I'm not doing CBS. I have a full, all complete day off tomorrow. I'll probably go to the track because I'm a horse racing degenerate. But that's a whole other story for another day. Um, partner, I want you to have a healthy, a safe, but a relaxing weekend. Uh, thank you much. Uh, appreciate your book and Chris Walt today. That was great. I love talking Alabama football with him. Uh, I say we try this again next week. Uh, We're going to do it. And everybody check out On Demand, Christopher Walsh. BLG. You can always get us On Demand. So even when we're not live, Jacob Media YouTube page. They got four days to think about it. You don't think they're going to fire us before Tuesday, do you? I don't know. We talked a lot of Sixers and wrestling today. So, you know, got to get it back back to the birds. Be back here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel on Tuesday at 8 o'clock. And see if Mac and Mac are still here. They may run us off. I don't think so. I think we did a pretty good show, but that's just me. Uh, Again, happy uh, uh, Memorial Day weekend, everybody. Take a minute. Say a prayer. Remember someone if you know someone. If not, just you know what the uh, men and women who served this country did for us over low these many years and many wars that have been fought. Do the right thing. Uh, Take a minute. Say a prayer for them. Say a prayer for us that we're back here on Tuesday. John McMullen, Jody McDonald, your Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.